0: Lord Belimora, thank you so much for joining me today, for talking about some of the ways in which we can support the growth of more professional, uh, strategic, uh, impact-oriented or- and entrepreneurial philanthropy in the emerging markets specifically, but also in other parts of the world. I'm particularly keen uh, to hear about how the extensive cross sectoral uh, experience you've had uh, influences the way that you think about these issues uh, around social uh, capital. Uh, Lord Karen Bilimora has had a remarkably diverse uh, and distinguished career. Uh, He's a highly successful entrepreneur uh, and active member of the House of Lords uh, and a respected leader in uh, business uh, and in the academic sector. Uh, In his spare time, he's also a chartered accountant and a lawyer. Uh, Lord Bilimora is of course founder of Cobra Beer, which uh, he famously established uh, in a London flat in uh, 1989. Uh, age 27 uh, and uh, £20,000 in debt, I believe, uh, which has gone on to become one of the leading brands uh, in the UK uh, and beyond. In 2005, he, o- he oversaw the establishment of the Cobra Foundation, uh, an independent charity that provides health and education uh, and community support to uh, young people in South Asia, uh, especially through the provision of uh, safe uh, water. And Cobra Foundation also supports disaster relief and uh, many other uh, important uh, causes. Lord uh, Billimora is the president of the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, which represents the interests of more than 190,000 businesses uh, of all shapes and sizes across the UK. And he served on a wide range of corporate uh, boards and advisory boards uh, throughout his career. As I mentioned, he's been a member of the House of Lords since 2006, and was appointed as a uh, commander of the British Empire, CBE, in 2004 uh, for his extensive services to uh, businesses and entrepreneurship. Uh, Born in Hyderabad, uh, India, Lord Billy was the founding chairman of the UK-India Business Council and has been a prominent advocate for the strengthening of economic ties between the UK and India. He's a chancellor of the University of Birmingham and only very recently stepped down as chairman of the advisory board of the Cambridge Judge Business School, which I'm proud to say is the home of the Center for Strategic Philanthropy. Dear uh, Karen, uh, if I may, uh, I'd like to begin by jumping right into a subject that combines two of our main interests today, and those are strategic philanthropy and the emerging markets. With that in mind, can you start by telling us about the Cobra Foundation,
1: including its basic philosophy
0: and what it's focused on uh, today?
1: Thank you, brother, and thank you for that very kind introduction and for all that you do for the Cambridge Judge Business School. And of course, in establishing the Center for Strategic Philanthropy, which is brilliant. And it's great that it's got off to a flying start uh, with Bill Gates himself uh, endorsing it right up front. So hats off to you. Well, you you are somebody who practices what you preach uh, in terms of philanthropy. And I go back to my early days when I started Cobra Beer. And as you said, I started with £20,000 in student debt. And, and, you know, in India, they don't have a term called SME. They say MSME because they don't say small and medium-sized enterprises. They say micro, small and medium enterprises. So we started as a micro business. There were just two of us, my business partner and I. And then we built it up from there into an S and then an M. And now we've got a global joint venture with one of the world's largest brewers, Molson Co. headquartered in Chicago. But even in those early days, when there were just two of us, instinctively, we wanted to put back whenever we could. And we would find opportunities where we would come across uh, a charitable event taking place in an Indian restaurant, one of our customers. And we would voluntarily say, look, let's help this charity. We'll give you free beer to serve at this event that will save your charity some costs, which will go into and will help you to raise funds. And in this way, charities welcomed us. And it was good for us because our brand was getting some profile and we were able to help a charity raise money and raise their profile. And this just built momentum from day one. And then what started to happen was we'd have auctions and raffle prizes and, and then the one auction prize was free cobra beer for a year so you'd have a case of cobra beer per month delivered to your doorstep if you won that auction and that auction even in the early days started raising several hundreds of pounds in some cases thousands of pounds that would go straight to the charity and that's how we started our charitable work initially by giving away free beer and we do that to this day And, and 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 on a very large scale so for example the lord mayor of london has every year the the Lord Mayor's curry lunch in the Guildhall, the old 800-year-old building. And over a thousand people around the city come to this event, including the Lord Mayor, members of the Royal Family. And we raise about 250,000 pounds a year net for the armed forces, charities on that day. And COBRA provides all the beer free for that event, thousands and thousands of bottles every single year. And then what I realized is, if you support a particular charity Consistently, year after year after year, before you know it, if you're if you're if you're supporting them for ten thousand pounds per event per year, in ten years you've supported them to the tune of a hundred thousand pounds, and 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 it's really valued. So I could give you example after example. The House of Lords, one of our big competitions, we have competitions between the House of Lords and House of Commons, the other place, and and we have shooting competitions, rowing competitions. You know, the biggest one, by the way, is the tug of war. And this is not the tug of war of legislation. This is a real tug of war that that takes place opposite the Houses of Parliament. And, you know, we raise money for Macmillan's cancer at this event every year. And I'm not exaggerating. Even during the recession, the last recession, not now, we were raising a quarter of a million pounds net for Macmillan's cancer and attended by six, 700 people. And Cobra Beer always provides the beer free for that event every year, thousands of pounds of beer every single year, year after year after year. So that's how we have done it. So we've, we've, we've donated millions of pounds worth of beer, and then I started the foundation. Very few companies, by the way. Very few companies. If you look at the United Kingdom, we're a very philanthropic country. If you look at how many how many companies have their own foundations. It's still a very small minority. So we formalise that, and we have Field Marshal Sir John Chappell, one of my father's great friends, who was in the British head of the British Army when my father was head of the Central Indian Army. He um, is the the, the patron. Uh, of the uh, the president of the of, of our foundation in fact my father was the founding president but sadly he passed away and the charity got its formal status the day he died so it's a very sentimental thing for me um, and, and and we've grown from that and then the next thing is you when you have this attitude which we had in the beginning this proactive attitude unprompted wanting to help and put back you spot opportunities so i shared the platform with the chief executive of blue water a few years ago And this water I was noticing was in all the top restaurants, even in the House of Parliament, was Blue Water. And at the end of the presentation, I said to her, I realized why they were doing so well, because it was a social enterprise. They donate 100% of their profits to WaterAid, the charity for clean water and sanitation, saving lives around the world. So I said, how many Indian restaurants do you supply? She said, none. I said, well, we supply 7,000. Why don't we do a joint branded Cobra Foundation Baloo Water, and we have now done that for the last few years, and we specified it must go to South Asia, the, the origins of many of our restaurateurs and the origins of Cobra Beer as a brand, and we've been we've, and um, saving lives, sanitation, clean water through water aid, 100% of the profits from that water, and everyone else makes their profit, the restaurant makes their profit, the customer pays a normal price, the distributor makes their profit, but the profit we make, we donate 100%. And we now it's hundreds of thousands of pounds that have been raised through that over the past few years. So there's no end to it when you have that attitude.
0: Incredible. I love those examples. Fantastic examples. I mean, and with the benefit of all that rich experience, uh, some of which you've, you've highlighted to us, um, what advice would you give aspiring philanthropists uh, across the emerging markets who might be thinking about setting up their own uh, philanthropic ventures, either now or in the years to come?
1: I I think you've, one, got to have the attitude and the mindset, which I've just spoken about. If you have that, and then if you have an entrepreneurial mindset of, of seeing an opportunity and then making it happen quickly, you've just got to get on with it and do it. And you've got to follow the mantra, which I follow, that it's not just good enough to be the best in the world. You've got to be the best for the world. And, you know i'm very proud of our beer and i'm sorry to boast you know we've won 121 gold medals it's one of the best beers in the world and i'm proud of that but you've got to also do whatever you can to put back in the community whenever you can however you can and i've seen by the way my restaurant customers i've always admired them they've gone as entrepreneurs to every corner i mean curry is the most popular food in britain and it's the restaurateurs from south asia who've gone to every corner and every village high street in every part of the united kingdom as entrepreneurs, pining entrepreneurs, opened up their restaurants, one customers, one friends, but most importantly, I've seen all of them put back into their local communities. And it's an inspiration to us all. Fantastic. Let me talk specifically
0: about emerging markets. When people think about the term emerging markets, um, India is often one of the first economies that comes to mind. Uh, India, of course, is not alone uh, a much, a much broader, broader economic shift, of course, is taking place across parts of Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, where we're seeing these economies really come to the fore and uh, achieve greater impact uh, on the global landscape, uh, both uh, economically as well as uh, socially. What impact do you think that the rise of these economies will have in the next few decades uh, in relation to the practice of uh, philanthropy and the growth of the social sector?
1: There are many ways in which traditionally uh, the, this has been done by NGOs operating within countries. So you have well-known charities, whether it's, say, The Children or Oxfam or uh, you know, lots of charities that have operated, headquartered, say, in the UK, but operating around the world, including in countries like India. But what is happening more and more now is you're getting that activity starting from within the country, including from the entrepreneurs and the successful business communities. But what I've also noticed is the cross border philanthropy that is so powerful. And I'll give you a quick example. In 1997, Tony Blair became prime minister. And I remember there was an Asian event in London and it was an awards event. And Tony Blair and Cherie came as the chief guests to this event. And at the end of the whole thing, this chap was called onto the stage who I'd never heard of before and he launched he got Tony Blair to launch his charity for educating widows children in India. And I thought, wow, what a great thing to do. So I went up to him and I said, how can I help you? The next thing I became chairman of his advisory council, which I am to this day. And then we started fundraising for this. And the model was very simple. We'd raise the money in the UK and then you would go state by state in India and get 100 widows children educated per state. And you know, it you could, 120 pounds a child could do that. And we would at fundraising dinners, get people to just pledge to educate one child for one year, let alone the people who would, edu- would give in tens of thousands of pounds. And in this way, this charity grew. But then when you have a global mindset, he then said, how can I, there are hundreds of millions of widows all around the world. How can we help the widows and their children around the world? So you got the United Nations, To establish international widows day which is now the 23rd of june every year international widows day so now this has become a global movement starting off with one person's idea based on the experience he had with his own mother being widowed in india bringing up seven children and it's an inspiring story of what can be done absolutely
0: you're obviously a very accomplished entrepreneur Uh, to what extent do you apply traditional entrepreneurial or business principles to the practice of philanthropy, whether that's through the Cobra Foundation that you talked about or other things that you've been involved in? Uh, and has your approach to this changed at all over time uh, as you've uh, grown in your business uh, career? And, and if so, how?
1: I've noticed that you can bring in this entrepreneurial uh, attitude to any charitable Event uh, and and an organization that you're you're involved with, and what it helps is to spot opportunities and to accelerate action very very quickly. And you can have as well established charities that have been going for years and years, and you can inject that dose of 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 rapid ideas and action. And I think that's what really propels uh, philanthropy ahead, and that's what you're doing with this with this center and having it based within the Cambridge Judge Business School, which has such a reputation for entrepreneurship and its center for entrepreneurship, uh, to to be able to feed off that. And again, I could give you example after example. I I chair the Memorial Gates uh, in in London. And these are the gates that were set up, um, inaugurated by Her Majesty the Queen in 2002, to commemorate the service and the sacrifice of the 5 million who volunteered in the First and Second World Wars from South Asia, Africa, and the Caribbean. And that service and sacrifice, we commemorate in a ceremony every single year. Now, in raising the money for that ceremony, organizing that event, my team and I just get on with it and do it. And then we got an uh, an introduction to the Royal British Legion, which is the biggest charity for armed forces in the UK. You know, The Remembrance Sunday that we have every year in November, the Poppy Appeal, that's the Royal British Legion. And they said, and this is the whole thing about serendipity. One of our professors at, 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 at uh, the Cambridge Judge Business School, Mark Durand, he defined serendipity as seeing what everyone else sees, but thinking what no one else thinks. And that's the seeing what everyone else sees, but thinking what no one else thinks is what we entrepreneurs do. And with the Royal British Legion... They wanted to focus on the Commonwealth, and they say, we're not giving enough focus on these 54 countries in the Commonwealth. Here, you're doing this every year. We want to work with you. And one of our objectives is to get the message out to schoolchildren and the youth around the country and have it embedded in the curriculum that our youngsters today are inspired and learn from their history, which they're not aware of at all. And the Royal British Legion has a huge educational program. So there you go. We're now working collaboratively together with the Royal British Legion coming in, providing funding and providing educational program for us so that's when you have that open-minded entrepreneurial approach you just endless opportunities from a charity that's been around since 2002
0: amazing i like that uh, description of serendipity Uh, another one is uh, it's god's way of remaining anonymous (laughs) um so Of course, you've worked in business. You also sit in the House of Lords. You're the chancellor of a university, amongst other things. Uh, You're also the president of the CBI, which we talked about, which of course brings you into contact with a whole whole spectrum of businesses across the UK. What do you think are the keys to facilitating successful collaborations between business, government, academics, and nonprofit institutions? Are there some golden rules that you apply when uh, collaborating across sectors?
1: yes in fact this pandemic has brought to the fore uh how important collaboration is at at, at every level i've seen for example the government in the uk when it's trying to do things on its own whether it's testing uh the population uh, or whether it's trying to set up a hospital from scratch they have not been able to do it on their own they've only been able to do it when they've collaborated and collaborated with universities collaborated with the private sector and the government all working together. And it's fantastic to see that in action. And there's no better example, by the way, than right at our own doorstep at Cambridge, we have AstraZeneca, a British Swedish company headquartered in Cambridge that has collaborated with Oxford University uh, to produce the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, which has been released and is going to be a huge game changer around the world because it's affordable and it can be distributed at refrigerated temperature. And produced at scale, and they have partners again. The collaboration is cross border. The partnership with the Serum Institute of India, my fellow Zoroastrian Parsis, the Punawala, Cyrus, and Adar, are going to be producing it over there. And here's the good thing about it they have said that during the pandem- pandemic, they will be producing it and giving it at cost, so they're not going to make profit out of it. And Cyrus Punawala and the Serum Institute of India, the biggest vaccine manufacturers in the world, a renowned for being able to produce vaccines at such an affordable rate that that's why they're the biggest and they go to every corner of the world. And they're gonna to continue to do that with this, with, this, with this vaccine. So there you are, you've got philanthropy on a life-saving scale on a global scale with a huge pharmaceutical giant, AstraZeneca and the biggest vaccine manufacturer in the world in India, cross country, cross border, university, industry, all working together.
0: Absolutely, a phenomenal example, and obviously a very relevant and contemporaneous one uh, of that. Um, Finally, uh, you've previously served as uh, the chair of the Cambridge uh, Judge Business School Advisory Board, uh, and I was honoured to serve uh, underneath you on the same board. How do you think that the Centre for Strategic Philanthropy can effectively reach out of Cambridge and connect in meaningful ways with academics, uh, practitioners... And philanthropists in the emerging markets around the world.
1: Well, Brother, firstly, you've been such a valuable board member of the Cambridge Judge Business School. Uh, as a fellow alumnus like me of the university, we're both passionate about our university, but that's one thing. Another thing is to give your time the way you have to the business school. But on top of that, you go the extra mile and you set up the Center for Strategic Philanthropy through your benefaction, and not just your benefaction, through your time that you give to it in a passionate, committed way. And that's what it is for anything to succeed. And within a university like Cambridge, I mean, we're so fortunate. It's one of the best universities in the world. Whichever way you look at it, we'll be one of the top one, two, three universities in the world every single year, year after year. And this goes back 800 years. And we've got to remember that what has, why are we here? Why are we so lucky to be alumni of Cambridge? It's because of benefaction. Our colleges were founded on benefaction. And we must never forget that that it's that benefaction centuries later that has this long-lasting generation-long impact and that's what we can do setting an example and even now cambridge on its own over the last few years has stepped up its game in raising money including from its alumni now in the american universities it's absolutely the norm that you give back to university almost from the day you graduate um, but here in, in, in the UK, we had these huge benefactions going on over the centuries, but we didn't have that attitude and habit of putting back into your alma mater. And we've now got there, and we're now working on that. But you're taking it a step further in that how can this wonderful Cambridge brand and what we're doing also work globally, learn from other areas, other institutions, and from a philanthropy point of view, learn from philanthropic activity going around the world, where we learn from each other, inspire each other uh, to take it forward. And I think that's what you're gonna be doing. That's gonna power it ahead, not just for Cambridge, but the learnings will be beneficial for philanthropy around the world from world-class research from the best of the best world-class university. Uh, And and, and if I may, I mean, Mahatma Gandhi, one of the most famous people ever to walk on this planet. Uh, One of my favorite sayings of his is, is "Live, uh, live as if you're going to die tomorrow learn as if you're going to live forever so what we're going to be doing with this uh, in, institute and with this center uh, for strategic philanthropy is we're going to be learning all the time and the impact is going to be forever
0: beautiful and of course karen uh, you were instrumental in unlocking that opportunity and for that i'm extremely grateful uh, dear, dearest karen always such a pleasure to speak with you to learn from you Uh, And whilst this is no substitute for a proper get-together, on behalf of the Center for Strategic Philanthropy, uh, I'm grateful for the time that you've taken to share some of your journey uh, and your invaluable insights, really, uh, and lessons uh, with us. And I can't wait for us to continue this conversation uh, in person, uh, with a bit of luck, um, in the the not-too-distant future. Thank you again, my friend.
1: Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you for all that you do.